This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Well, today for our teaching time, we're going to go over again the passage from Acts, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And as a starting illustration, does anybody remember in the first Star Wars movie when Luke was flying down this trench on the Death Star in his X-Wing fighter and the Death Star was turning the power on so they could get ready to zap another planet? And we were sitting there on the edges of our seats waiting, is he going to get it? Is he going to get it? Is he going to hit that spot? And sure enough, he does. But while we're watching this episode go on and he's flying his fighter down this trench, we're all sitting there on the edges of our seats. And I remember in that first time when I went to the first, ep- first ever Star Wars movie back in 1977, that everybody in that theater was sitting on the edge of their seats just, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? And to our great relief, of course, he did. And then remember all of the Rocky movies where we're just sitting there going, you know, while he's getting pummeled by the opponent, but finally he overcomes. And we all go, "Ah," a sigh of relief. Now, these two stories illustrate what's going on in this passage in Acts because it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so, what this means is that they're continuing on and on and on, and in reality, what Luke is telling us here is that those people were sitting on the edge of their seats, listening to the apostles teach, and they couldn't get enough. They're sitting there going, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. They're excited and they're really turned on and thrilled by hearing the apostles teaching. And so, in a sense, those folks were sitting on the edge of their seats or however were they were sitting. And they were just anxiously drinking it in. And Kent Hughes says about this passage, They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. And note carefully that this verse literally says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It is very important that we note this term, continually devoting, because it governs the other characteristics of the church where the Holy Spirit reigns. It denotes a steadfast and single-minded devotion to a certain central course of action. Many of us marveled at the free-flow specialists in the National Basketball Association when they shot well into the game, breathing heavily, hurting for a foul, step to the free-throw line, and they seldom miss, unless they're the Celtics, often maintaining an 80% success rate. How do they make it look so easily? By continually devoting themselves to their task. It's the same way with all, if you ever get bored enough and watch the Golf Channel. You know, watching those guys golf, if you've ever tried to play, you know that 
it's easy to play, but it's very difficult to play well. How do those guys like Tiger Woods and whoever else, I can't think of any other golfers on the top of my head right now, but how do you think they get so good? They devote themselves and practice and practice and practice and practice. And so that's what's happening here in verse 42. Those people are devoting themselves to that teaching. And think about this. It says that 3,000 believers were added to their number that very day. Now, it also says that they were fellowshipping. Now, this fellowshipping here is more on the terms of koinonia, which is the Greek word for sharing. They're sharing their thoughts. They're sharing their secrets. They're sharing their prayer requests. They're sharing their goals and their dreams, and they're not having casual conversations like, how do you think the Red Sox are going to do this season and that sort of thing? They're actually sitting there saying, well, you know, when Peter said this, did you agree with that? What did, do you agree with what he said? They're sitting there getting into it. They're talking and they're sharing their most innermost, deepest thoughts with one another. That's real fellowship. Not, well, do you think it's going to stop raining today? You know, not that sort of thing. We're talking about real sharing and talking with one another. Now, breaking of the bread. Now, this could simply be, you know, eating together. But there's a fellow by the name of Philip Long who says that it could be more than that. What's going on here is while the phrase can be used to share a meal together, it is likely that Luke is describing the community as celebrating some form of communion. In Luke 21, 19, the same words are used as Jesus takes bread and breaks it. In Luke 24, 35, it is used for the resurrected Christ, as we talked about last week, breaking the bread as two disciples realized who he was. And he believes that Jesus' practice of common meals was the foundation for the practice of what we now call Holy Communion or the Eucharist. They all ate and drank together as one group. They did it together. And that's the key detail here. They did it together. They weren't out there trying to be lone wolf believers. You don't want to do that anyway. Because the lone, you know, think about it, the lone animal, creature, or person who's out there all by themselves is easy to pick off. I remember a story about there was a patrol going out near, during the Vietnam War. And the point man got too far ahead of the rest of the squad. What do you think happened to him? He got picked off. And so if you're trying to be a lone wolf Christian, don't. Because the devil loves it when he sees somebody trying to do the discipleship life all on their own. Because guess what? They're not going to make it, most likely. Okay, so 
we had the breaking of the bread. Now there's the prayers, and they're praying together. Adam Clark says about this that they're saying, in supplications to God for an increase of grace and life in their own souls, for establishment in the truth which they have received, and for the extension of the kingdom of Christ and the salvation of men. Now, what does all that mean? It means that they're getting into the prayer and they're getting deep in the prayer. They're praying for the things that really mean something. They're praying for the growth in the faith. They're praying for maturity. They're praying for protection from the adversary. They're praying for being able to reach that next level of growth. And they were built up on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. And Jesus Christ himself was the chief cornerstone. And they did that continuously. That's why Kent Hughes says that continuing steadfastly phrase is so key and so important. Because it means they did this too with the breaking of the bread and with the prayers. They continued together. And they basically separated themselves from the world. Not to be a hermit, but they moved out of the mainstream of the world's lifestyle and they got into the fellowship of a community of believers and they walked together in fellowship and in community and they could build up one another in their faith as they did that because they were staying together. They were fellowshipping with one another. And then it says that fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, my guess is that this is not fear as in terror, like one of the teenagers in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. This is fear of the awesomeness of God. This is like being awestruck by how awesome God is. But the word that's used here in the Greek is phobos. Phobos. Now, who knows what English word we get from that Greek word phobos? Phobia, which is a fear, a fear of something. But this fear is the awesomeness fear. This is like, wow, ooh, wow. You know, that's that kind of thing. It's not, ah, you know. There's two different kinds of fear, and the one that makes you want to run away and hide, that's not what we're talking about. This is the kind of fear that blows people over and makes them go, whoa, I can't believe that. It's so awesome. And so that's what's taking place here. And as a result of that, the people were held in what's called awe. We're told that everyone kept feeling a general sense of awe. The general mood among the disciples was one of woe. Again, they feared God, but they glorified him also. And they recognized that he was visiting his people. This kind of fear is not one that repels, but inspires Worship. Luke used it whenever the people are encountering God's direct miraculous work. A human can't but feel fear when seeking God's divine action. The fear translated here as awe, perhaps to make the concept more appealing. Again, the word was actually used was phobos, fear. Now, what did they do daily? What does the text tell us that they did every day? They continued daily, in verse 46, with one accord in the temple 
and the breaking of the bread. What that means is that they did this routine daily. They worshipped a lot together. They prayed a lot together. This community lived out its commitment to the apostles' teaching by gathering each day in the temple courts to hear instructions. Daily, they the community broke bread together. Daily, they prayed together, and they had the fellowship. So let's look at this in terms of the impact of what was going on. What was the impact of this lifestyle of the early church? It was growth. Every day, the Lord Jesus, by His Spirit, saved some, incorporating them into their number. God's plan is for churches to grow. Let's keep that in mind. God's plan is for churches to grow. The challenge for us is, will we meet the scriptural conditions for the growth, a dedication to the learning, caring, fellowshipping, worshipping church? Will we meet the one essential condition? As empowering follows petition, so evangelism and Christian unity or community follow Pentecost. The empowering, moreover, is repeatable, and so we can see it and do it again and again and again. So, we have something like our marching orders today. To be the church, to be in community with one another, to care for one another, and to love one another, and to hold up each other in prayer daily. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.Podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your power for living.